poets and intellectuals of this time, the innovative minds, the intelligentsia, those that are breaking down the barriers and choosing a bohemian existence, escaping from dreary suburban ideals and materialistic death traps. Where are these engaging people? The risk takers, the revolutionaries, those living apart from this big unrest, those escaping the sterility of corporate junkies who get high on materialistic consumption. Welcome to the Bohemian Beat. We will journey beyond the horizon and find the artists living on the edge, going down into the murky waters of their very existence, where these brave souls have re-emerged with art that is challenging, original and brutal. You have tuned into the Bohemian Beat. I'm ready with you until the end of the hour with another poetic adventure into the theatre of your mind. I hope you are enjoying the festive period and that 2017 is kick-starting you in great innovative directions. Perhaps you have considered to read more poetry, allow words to sprout inspirations rather than be indoctrinated by words into false interactions with reality. Reclaim words and you reclaim your thoughts. You reclaim your thoughts and then you are less likely to be hoodwinked into supporting blatant injustices. But be warned, those who can think for themselves are generally considered dangerous radicals. And the collective silencing of these individual thinkers is a phenomena we are only just beginning to understand. Today, we will be featuring one of the most radical poets ever, Percy Bysshe Shelley, and focusing on his powerful protest poem, The Mask of Anarchy, which inspired people like Henry David Thoreau and Gandhi. Today's show is dedicated to the Mullumbimby 2016 Year 9 students who participated in the pre-recording sessions at SAE Studios in Byron Bay to get this great poem to you. I really appreciate everyone's passion and effort in participating in these community-based poetic projects. So a big thank you to all those students and also to their amazing teacher, Marissa. This episode is part of an educational interactive initiative, community-based poetic engagement. But first, let's start with a protest song and a language warning for this track. When the fundamental things in society are wrong, it's a really good time for a protest song. The world as we know it is breaking at the seams and the people are uniting and taking to the streets to say they're bored of the greed, bored of the corruption and of a lie that is capitalism. When leaders are bought and freedom is sold, we're gonna listen to the girl with a megaphone. She said a change is gonna come, it won't take long. It's a really good time for a protest song a revolution is a really big word i've never even been to a protest before i'm just jumping on the bandwagon hoping it will help me sell some albums and i gotta sell albums if i want to make money because that's the only thing that would ever make me happy it was written in me when i was a child money makes the world go round so we're here today to stop the world turning and in 
introduce a new way of thinking with people over profit, love over greed. Raise your hands and shake them at me. And if enough of us turn up and join the fight, we could change the world tonight. Oh, when globalisation means that everybody knows there's a protest happening all around the world. It's not just us, it's not just here. In fact, the feeling's mutual everywhere. A few rich people made all of the decisions affecting the whole of civilization, and they fucked it up. They got it wrong. It's a really good time for a protest song. And revolution is a really big word. I've never even been to a protest before. I'm just jumping on the bandwagon Hoping it'll help me sell some albums And I gotta sell albums if I wanna make money Cause that's the only thing that would ever make me happy It was written in me when I was a child Money makes the world go round So we're here today to stop the world turning And introduce a new way of thinking With people over profit, love over greed Raise your hands and shake them at me and if enough of us turn up and join the fight We could change the world tonight That was Beans on Toast with Protest Song from the album Fishing for a Thank You One of the greatest political protest poems ever written is The Mask of Anarchy by the English Romantic poet Percy Bysshe Shelley who lived between 1792 and 1822 A poem at the forefront of the concept of the modern civil disobedience movement written as a response to the Peterloo Massacre or Battle of Peterloo that occurred at St Peter's Field, Manchester, England on the 16th of August 1819 when cavalry charged into a peaceful crowd of 60,000 to 80,000 people that had gathered to demand the reform of parliamentary representation. Historically, the end of the Napoleonic Wars in 1815 resulted in periods of famine and chronic unemployment, exasperated by the introduction of the first of the Corn Laws, laws that enhanced the profits and political power associated with land ownership. The economic issue, in essence, was the excessive price of the most important food staple, bread. By the beginning of 1819, the pressure generated by poor economic conditions coupled with not being able to vote in political elections enhanced the appeal of political radicalism. Shortly after the meeting began, local magistrates called on the military authorities to arrest the speakers and to disperse the crowd. Cavalry charged into the crowd with sabres drawn and in the ensuing confusion, 15 people were killed and up to 700 injured. The poem is a prophetic dream in which the political crisis of Regency England is turned into an apocalyptic vision. In the first part of the poem, the nation's leading politicians parade like monsters, leading the figure of anarchy on a white horse to trample the multitude who adore him. In this vision, the true anarchists are Britain's rulers who delight in fear and disorder. Anarchy's followers, who include lawyers and priests, take possession of palace, bank and parliament. They are challenged only by a maniac maid called Hope, though she looked more like despair. The poem begins with the speaker sleeping in Italy when he is awoken by a voice from England who summons him back to his home nation to witness a massacre that had recently taken place. As I lay asleep in Italy... There came a voice from over the sea, 
and with great power it forth led me to walk in the visions of poesy. I met Murder on the way. He had a mask like Castlereagh. Very smooth he looked, yet grim. Seven bloodhounds followed him. All were fat, and well they might be an admirable plight. For one by one, and two by two, he tossed them human hearts to chew, which from his wide cloak he drew. Next came Fraud, and he had on, like Lord Eldon, an ermined gown. His big tears, for he wept well, turned to millstones as they fell. And the little children, who round his feet played to and fro, thinking every tear a gem, had their brains knocked out by them. Clothed with the Bible, as with light, and the shadows of the night, like Sidmouth, next hypocrisy on a crocodile rode by. And many more destructions played in this ghastly masquerade, all disguised even to the eyes, like bishops, lawyers, peers and spies. Last came Anarchy, he rode, on a white horse splashed with blood. He was pale even to the lips, like death in the apocalypse. And he wore a kingly crown, and in his grasp a scepter shone. On his brow this mark I saw, I am God and King and Law. And with a mighty troop around, with their trampling shook the ground, waving each a bloody sword for the service of their Lord. Over fields and towns, from sea to sea, past the pageants, swift and free, tearing up and trampling down, till they came to London town. And each dweller, panic-stricken, felt his heart with terror sicken, hearing the tempestuous cry of the triumph of Anakai. For from pomp to meet him came, clothed in arms like blood and flame, the hired murderers who did sing, Thou art God and law and king. We have waited weak and lone for thy coming, mighty one. Our purses are empty, our swords are cold. Give us glory and blood and gold. Lawyers and priests, a motley crowd, to the earth their pales browed bowed, like a bad player, not overly loud, whispering, Thou art law and God. Then all cried with one accord, Thou art king and God and lord. Anarchy, to thee we bow, be fine name made holy now. And Anarchy the skeleton bowed and grinned to everyone, as well as if his education had cost ten millions to the nation. For he knew the palaces of our kings were rightly his, and the scepter, crown and globe, and the gold in woven robe. So he sent his slaves before to seize upon the bank and tower, and was proceeding with intent to meet his pensioned parliament. When one fled past, a maniac maid, and her name was Hope, she said, but she looked more like despair, and she cried out in the air. My father time is weak and grey, with waiting for a better day. See how idiot-like he stands, fumbling with his palsied hands? He has had child after child, and the dust of death is piled over everyone but me. Misery, oh misery. Then she lay down in the street, right before the horse's feet, expecting if a patient eye, murder, fraud and anarchy. When between her and her foes, a mist, a light, an image rose, small at first, and weak and frail, like the vapour of a veil. Tiller's clouds grow on the blast, like tower-crowned giants striding fast, and glare with lightnings as they fly, and speak in thunder to the sky. It grew, a shape arrayed in mail, brighter than the viper's scale, and upborne on wings whose grain was as the light of sunny rain. 
on its helm seen far away, a planet like the morning's lay. And those blooms its light rained through, like a shower of crimson dew. With step as soft as wind it passed, over the heads of men so fast, that they knew the presence there, and looked, but all was empty air. As flowers beneath May's footstep waken, as stars from night's loose hair are shaken, as waves arise when loud winds call, thoughts sprung where'er that step did fall. And the prostate multitude looked an ankle deep in blood, hope that made him most serene was walking with a quiet mien. And anarchy, the ghastly birth, lay dead earth upon the earth. The horse of death, tameless as the wind, fled and with his hooves did grind to dust the murders thronged behind. Men of England, heirs of glory, heroes of an unwritten story, nurslings of one mighty mother, hopes of her and one another, rise like lions after slumber, in unvanquishable number, shake your chains to earth like dew, which in sleep had fallen on you. Ye are many, they are few. Why do the baby star has enough food to feed the world? Why wouldn't there so many of us Are there people still the known? Why are the lizards called peacekeepers When they're aimed to kill? Why is a woman still not safe When she's in her home? Love is hate War is peace No is yes We're all free But somebody's gonna have to answer Time is coming soon Amidst all these questions and contradictions There's some who seek the truth Tell me, why do the baby star There's enough food to feed the world Why wouldn't there so many of us Are there people still alone Why are the messes called peacekeepers When they're aimed to kill Why is a woman still not safe When she's in her home Love is hate War is peace Oh, his yes, we're all free. But somebody's gonna have to answer. The time is coming soon when the blind remove their blinders and the streets to speak the truth. Tell me, why do the baby star? There's enough food to feed the world. Why wouldn't there so many of us that there are people still alone? And why are the missiles called peacekeepers when they're aimed to kill? Why is a woman still not safe when she's in her home? Love is hate, war is peace, no is yes, we're all free. You are listening to The Bohemian Beat, broadcasting nationally since 2007 across the community radio network. We just heard Tracy Chapman with Why, and before that, Mullumbimby High School students reading from the beginning of the poem, Mask of Anarchy by Percy Bysshe Shelley. Shelley was born in Sussex on August the 4th, 1792, to a wealthy and politically prominent family. He had a stormy career at Eton College and Oxford University. He was known as Mad Shelley or Atheist Shelley. 
1811, he was expelled for writing a pamphlet called The Necessity of Atheism. In the pamphlet, Shelley argues that belief is not a voluntary act, since it is not regulated by reason, and so it is a mistake to consider disbelievers to be criminals. In the absence of personal experience, it does not follow that one should believe the testimony of another who claims to have seen God, since it is possible they were deceived or mistaken, and therefore there are no proof that there is a God. The argument that God must have created the universe is not reasonable as the universe might have always existed. If it was caused by something, then there is no need to assume that the cause was God. In 19th century religiously conservative England, atheism was considered an outrageous idea. Shelley felt that spiritual truth was not based on either supernatural revelation or natural experience. Instead, he thought truth could be understood by the imagination alone. Shelley attempts to use his views on imagination to define the role of poets. He asserts that poets sow the seeds of future reforms but do not themselves live to witness their realisation. As with his poem, The Mask of Anarchy, written in 1816, which was not published during his lifetime due to the so-called gagging acts that had been introduced to restrict published political protest. These acts allowed the perpetrators of the massacre to be exonerated, and the organisers of the demonstrations were imprisoned. Shelley's poem remained unpublished until the 1830s. Let's continue with more of the poem, and a language warning for the track that follows. What is freedom, ye can tell, that which slavery is, too well, for its very name has grown to an echo of your own. Tis to work and have such pay as just keeps life from day to day. In your limbs as in a cell for the tyrants used to dwell. Tis to see your children's weak with their mother's pine and peak. With when the winter's winds are bleak, they're dying whilst I speak. Tis to hunger for such diet as the rich man in his riot casts to the fat dogs that lie so fighting beneath his eye. This is slavery, savage men. Or wild beasts within a den would endure not as ye do, but such ills they never knew. What art thou, freedom, oh, could slaves answer from their living graves? This demand tyrants would flee, like a dream's imagery. Thou art not, as impostors say, a shadow soon to pass away, a superstition and a name echoing from the cave of fame. For the labourer thou art bred, and a comely table spread, from his daily labour come, in a neat and happy home. Thou art clothes and fire and food for the trampled multitude. No, in countries that are free, such starvation cannot be, as in England now we see. To rich thou art a check, when his foot is on the neck of his victim, thou does make that he treads upon a snake. Thou art justice. Never for gold, may thy righteous laws be sold. As laws are in England, thou shieldest alike, both high and low. Thou art wisdom. Free man never dream that God will damn forever all who think those things untrue, of which priests make sure ado. Thou art peace. Never by thee would blood and treasure wasted be as tyrants wasted them, when all leagued to quench thy flame and gall. Thou art love. 
The rich have kissed thy feet, and like him following Christ, give their substance to the free, and through the rough world follow thee. Or turn their wealth to arms, and make war for thy beloved's sake, on wealth and war and fraud, whence they drew the power which is their prey. Science, poetry and thought are thy lamps. They make the lot of the dwellers in a cot so serene they curse it not. Spirit, patience, gentleness, all that can adorn and bless art thou. Let deeds, not words, express thine exceeding loveliness. Let a great assembly be of the fearless and the free on some spot of English ground where the plains stretch wide around. Let the blue sky overhead, the green earth on which ye tread, all that must internal be, witness the solemnity. Ye who suffer woes untold, or to feel, or to behold, your lost country bought and sold with a price of blood and gold. Let a vast assembly be, and with great solemnity, declare with measured words that ye are, as God has made ye free. Be your strong and simple words, Keen to wound as sharpened swords, and wide as targes let them be, with this shade to cover ye. Stand ye calm and resolute, like a forest close and mute, with folded arms and looks which are weapons of unvanquished war. And if then the tyrants dare, let them ride among you there, slash and stab and maim and hew, what they like, that let them do. With folded arms and steady eyes and little fear and less surprise, look upon them as they slay, till their rage has died away. Then they will return with shame to the place from which they came, and the blood thus shed will speak in hot blushes on their cheek. Every woman in the land will point at them as they stand. They will hardly dare to greet their acquaintance in the street. And the bold, true warriors who have hugged danger in wars will turn to those who would be free, ashamed of such base company. And that slaughter to the nation shall steam up like inspiration, eloquent, oracular, a volcano heard afar. And these words shall then become like oppression's thundered doom, ringing through each heart and brain, heard again, again, again. Rise like lions after slumber, in unvanquishable number. Shake your chains to earth like dew, which in sleep had fallen on you. Ye are many, they are few. Lord, save this burning earth. Lord, save this burning earth. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lord, save this burning earth. Talk about a new reunion Who was bold enough to do it Do you feel the power of music mm-hmm. Well I got some news for you man Your so called constitution Well 
And before that, Mullumbimby High School students reading excerpts from The Mask of Anarchy by Percy Bysshe Shelley. In the poem, Shelley powerfully asserts and passionately believes that hostility, oppression and evil can be overcome by means of passive protest, unbridled love and magnanimity of spirit on a societal and eventually universal level. The guilty soldiers, he says will return shamefully to society, showing the psychological consequences of violence met with pacifism. The idea was taken up by Henry David Thoreau in his essay, Civil Disobedience, Resistance to Civil Government, first published in 1849. It argues that people should not permit governments to overrule or diminish their consciences, and that people have a duty to avoid allowing such acquiescence which enables a government to make them the agents of injustice. Thoreau further argues that the United States at the time fitted his criteria for an unjust government, given its support of slavery and its practice of aggressive war. Thoreau doubted the effectiveness of reform within the government, and he argued that voting and petitioning for change achieves little. He asserted that one cannot see government for what it is when one is working within it. This next piece is an excerpt from Thoreau's essay on civil disobedience. A man may grow rich in Turkey even, if he will be in all respects a good subject of the Turkish government. Confucius said, If a state is governed by the principles of reason, 
Poverty and misery are subjects of shame. If a state is not governed by the principles of reason, riches and honors are subjects of shame. No. Until I want the protection of Massachusetts to be extended to me in some distant southern port where my liberty is endangered, or until I am bent solely on building up an estate at home by peaceful enterprise, I can afford to refuse allegiance to Massachusetts and her right to my property and life. It costs me less in every sense to incur the penalty of disobedience to the state than it would to obey. I should feel as if I were worth less in that case. Some years ago the state met me in behalf of the church and commanded me to pay a certain sum toward the support of a clergyman whose preaching my father attended, but never I myself. Pay, it said or be locked up in the jail. I declined to pay. But unfortunately, another man saw fit to pay it. I did not see why the schoolmaster should be taxed to support the priest, and not the priest the schoolmaster. For I was not the state's schoolmaster, but I supported myself by voluntary subscription. I did not see why the Lyceum should not present its tax bill and have the state to back its demand as well as the church. However, at the request of the selectmen, I condescended to make some such statement as this in writing. Know all men by these presents that I... Henry Thoreau, do not wish to be regarded as a member of any incorporated society which I have not joined. This I gave to the town clerk, and he has it. The State, having thus learned that I did not wish to be regarded as a member of that church, has never made a like demand on me since though it said that it must adhere to its original presumption that time. If I had known how to name them, I should then have signed off in detail from all the societies which I never signed on to. But I did not know where to find such a complete list. I have paid no poll tax for six years. I was put into a jail once on this account for one night and as I stood considering the walls of solid stone, two or three feet thick, the door of wood and iron a foot thick, and the iron grating which strained the light, I could not help being struck with the foolishness of that institution which treated me as if I were mere flesh and blood and bones to be locked up. I wondered that it should have concluded at length that this was the best use it could put me to, and had never thought to avail itself of my services in some way. I saw that, if there was a wall of stone between me and my townsmen, 
there was a still more difficult one to climb or break through before they could get to be as free as I was. I did not for a moment feel confined, and the walls seemed a great waste of stone and mortar. I felt as if I alone of all my townsmen had paid my tax. They plainly did not know how to treat me, but behaved like persons who were underbred. In every threat and in every compliment there was a blunder, for they thought that my chief desire was to stand the other side of that stone wall. I could not but smile to see how industriously they locked the door on my meditations, which followed them out again without let or hindrance, and they were really all that was dangerous. As they could not reach me, they had resolved to punish my body, just as boys, if they cannot come at some person against whom they have a spite, will abuse his dog. I saw that the state was half-witted, that it was timid as a lone woman with her silver spoons, and that it did not know its friends from its foes, and I lost all my remaining respect for it, and pitied it. Thus the state never intentionally confronts a man's sense, intellectual or moral but only his body, his senses. It is not armed with superior wit or honesty, but with superior physical strength. I was not born to be forced. I will breathe after my own fashion. Let us see who is the strongest. What force has a multitude they only can force me who obey a higher law than I. They force me to become like themselves. I do not hear of men being forced to live this way or that by masses of men. What sort of life were that to live? When I meet a government which says to me, Your money or your life... Why should I be in haste to give it my money? It may be in a great strait, and not know what to do. I cannot help that. It must help itself, do as I do. It is not worth the while to snivel about it. I am not responsible for the successful working of the machinery of society. I am not the son of the engineer. I perceive that when an acorn and a chestnut fall side by side, the one does not remain inert to make way for the other, but both obey their own laws, and spring and grow and flourish as best they can, till one, perchance, overshadows and destroys the other. If a plant cannot live according to its nature, it dies. And so a man.
Anybody can press a button and blow a shuffle. Anybody can use an atom bomb. Anybody can pick up a big whip and whip you. Anybody can stick a knife into you. Anybody can pull a trigger. But where's the man with the character that can take a punch on the nose and keep his temper and keep control of himself? Shelley. And before that, an excerpt from Henry David Thoreau's essay, Civil Disobedience, his most famous social protest, which espouses the need to prioritise one's conscience over the dictates of laws. Thoreau is remembered for his attacks on the social institutions he considered immoral and for his faith in the religious significance of nature. 
Thoreau has influenced many, including the likes of people such as Gandhi. Gandhi wrote in his 1942 appeal to American friends, You have given me a teacher in Thoreau who furnished me through his essay on the duty of civil disobedience, scientific confirmation of what I was doing in South Africa. It is also known that Gandhi would often quote Percy B. Shelley's Mask of Anarchy at rallies. Mahandas Karamchand Gandhi, who lived between 1869 and 1949, was one of the foremost spiritual, political, moral and cultural leaders of the 1900s. He helped free India from British control by using a unique method of non-violent resistance. Gandhi developed a method of direct social action based upon principles of courage, non-violence and truth which he called Satyagraha. In this method, the way people behave is more important than what they achieve. Satyagraha was used to fight for India's independence and to bring about social change. The following piece is a recording of Gandhi. Perceived through my senses. It transcends the senses, but it is possible to reason out the existence of God to a limited extent. Even in ordinary affairs, we know that people do not know who rules or why and how he rules. And yet they know that there is a power that certainly rules. In my tour last year in Mysore, I met many poor villagers and I found upon inquiry that they did not know who ruled Mysore. They simply said, some god ruled it. If the knowledge of these poor people was so limited about their ruler, I, who am infinitely lesser in respect to God than they to their ruler, need not be surprised if I do not realize the presence of God, the King of Kings. Nevertheless, I do feel, as the poor villagers felt, about Mysore, that there is orderliness in the universe. There is an unalterable law governing everything and every being that exists or lives. It is not a blind law, for no blind law can govern the conduct of living beings. And thanks to the marvelous researches of Sir J.C. Bose, it can now be proved that even matter is life. That law, then, which governs all life is God. Law and the lawgiver are one. I may not deny the law or the lawgiver because I know so little about it or him. Just as my denial or ignorance of the existence of an earthly power will avail me nothing, even so, my denial of God and his law will not liberate me from its operation, whereas humble and mute acceptance of divine authority makes life's journey easier even as the acceptance of earthly rule makes life under it easier. I do dimly perceive that whilst everything around me is ever-changing, ever-dying, there is underlying all that change a living power that is changeless, that holds all together, that creates, dissolves, 
and recreate. Or I can see that in the midst of death, life persists. In the midst of untruth, truth persists. In the midst of darkness, light persists. Hence I gather that God is life, truth, light. He is love. He is the supreme good. But he is no God who merely satisfies the intellect if he ever does. God, to be God, must rule the heart and transform it. He must express himself in every smallest act of his votary. This can only be done through a definite realization, more real than the five senses can ever produce. Sense perceptions can be and often are false and deceptive, however real they may appear to us. Where there is realization outside the senses, it is infallible. It is proved not by extraneous evidence, but in the transformed conduct and character of those who have felt the real presence of God within. Such testimony is to be found in the experiences of an unbroken line of prophets and sages in all countries and climes. To reject this evidence is to deny oneself. This realization is preceded by an immovable faith. He who would, in his own person, test the fact of God's presence can do so by a living faith. And since faith itself cannot be proved by extraneous evidence, the safest course is to believe in the moral government of the world and therefore in the supremacy of the moral law, the law of truth and love. Exercise of faith will be the safest where there is a clear determination summarily to reject all that is contrary to truth and law. I confess that I have no argument to convince through reason. Faith transcends reason. All I can advise is not to attempt the impossible. Dedicated to all spiritual activists, true seekers and peaceful warriors worldwide. I regard myself as a soldier, though a soldier of peace. Once upon a time, not long ago, there was a boy who would grow and become a great soul. He lived in India, and his name was Gandhi. He believed in human rights, and he fought for equality. He felt so strongly that he trained himself, because he realized first he'd have to change himself. He changed his clothes and decided to walk. Some days he practiced silence and refused to talk. When he was young, he studied to be a lawyer And then he became a great spiritual warrior He read from the scriptures of every religion And came to the realization that we're all God's children Because he understood that we're all equal He became a spokesman for the people A karma yogi, devoted to service To spread truth and peace was his purpose You gotta be the change that you wanna see In the world, be the change. just like Gandhi Be the change that you wanna see In the world just like Gandhi
Condi dedicated his life to the cause Even when it meant breaking unjust laws He often faced prison and incarceration But that only strengthened his determination He said he would make every sacrifice But that he would never kill or take a life He used his heart instead of his fist And he taught non-violence as the way to resist A peaceful soldier who used his mind To fight for the rights of humankind But not just people, animals too In his basic teaching, God is truth he joined Muslims, Sikhs, and Hindus, Christians, Buddhists, Jains, and Jews. All the many paths that lead into the light that shines bright inside of me and you. You gotta be the change that you wanna see in the world. The change, just like Gandhi. Be the change that you wanna see in the world. Just like Gandhi. Be the change that you wanna see in the world. The change, just like Gandhi. Be the change that you wanna see in the world. Just like Gandhi. Gandhi taught an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind And it takes more strength and faith to be kind With that in mind, Gandhi took a stand Against the foreign occupation of his land When things got violent, Gandhi would fast Not eating for days until the riots would pass But the biggest event that made the British halt is when Gandhi G decided to harvest salt. The British Empire installed a salt tax, and stealing salt was an unlawful act. So Gandhi and his peeps took to the streets. 10,000 deep, they marched to the beach. But when they arrived, they were beaten with clubs. But they didn't fight back, instead, they chose love. The foreign military realized they were wrong and eventually decided to go back home. You see, Gandhi G was a very great leader, but before all that, he was shy and meager. As a young child, he was just like you and me Before he became Mahatma Gandhi The word Mahatma, it means great soul And it's inside of us just waiting to unfold If you follow your heart and act real bold Next time it'll be your story that's told You gotta be the change that you wanna see In the world, be the change Just like Gandhi Be the change that you wanna see In the world, just like Gandhi Be the change that you wanna see In the world, be the change just like Gandhi, be the change that you wanna see in the world. Just like Gandhi, be the change that you wanna see in the world. Be the change. Just like Gandhi, be the change that you wanna see in the world. Just like Gandhi, be the change that you wanna see in the world. Just like Gandhi, be the change that you wanna see in the world. Just like Gandhi. That was MC Yogi with Be The Change. And before that, Gandhi, speaking from an album called Words and Music. You are listening to The Bohemian Beat, and today we have been exploring the epic poem by English Romantic poet Percy Bysshe Shelley, The Mask of Anarchy, and the poem's influence on Gandhi and Henry David Thoreau. Today's show has been part of an educational initiative dedicated to those Mullumbimby students who participated in this Bohemian Collective event. Thank you, everyone. Special thanks to Mullum High School teacher Marissa McEwen and also to SAE Institute at Byron Bay for making space available for this community project and to Scaria, SAE student, who worked tirelessly on the audio recordings and post-production. And thanks to Jill from SAE for making this happen. This support has produced quite a bit of poetic content for the Bohemian Beat, and we will be hearing more in the near future. Well, 
We are running out of time. I will be back next week, same beat time, same bohemian frequency, for more poetic adventures. Check out the website, thebohemianbeat.com, for more information and podcasts. Also, drop us a line. We love to hear from you. We will end with a track by First Aid Kit called The Lion's Roar. Thank you for joining me on the Bohemian Beat. I'm ready.
Oh. Uh. 